Hey, you're listening to Sloancast, your one-stop shop, deep dive, where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time, Patrick Pentland, Andrew Scott, Jay Ferguson, and Chris Murphy, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow superfan hosts. I'm Rob. This is Ken. Ken, how's it going, man? I'm doing great. I'm happy to report that we have crossed another one of our um, dream guest candidates off of the shortlist for Sloancast. I know that, Rob, when we were um, putting together sort of our initial thoughts on who can we talk to in what corners of the world about the greatest band of all time, that our guest today was on that list. Paul Myers, welcome to Sloancast. Hey, hi, guys. How's it going? Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks so much for doing this, man. I'm really happy to, you know, when I heard you had Sloancast, I was sort of following and just sort of, I follow you guys on Instagram as well. And I see all that, all the great uh, Chris Murphy and Jay Ferguson, especially seem to chip in a lot. And so it's pretty cool. Yeah. And you guys probably know just from being around the web, I, I'm kind of an advocate for Sloan everywhere. I've written right. about them. I've, I just tell everybody about them all the time. Right. The the Northern California-based uh, Sloan Embassy. <laughs> yeah, for all your Sloan needs, come to Paul That's Myers. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the Berkeley area. It's, uh, yeah. Okay, but, cool. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's great cool. to be here. Cool. So Paul, I could I could shoebox you into the into the author category. I could shoebox you into the journalist category, into the musician category. How how do you prefer to be described? I um, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm a I'm a communicator. I guess right. is the the broadest term is I I I started out as a musician, and I was in bands in Toronto, and then I started writing about music, and then just as the, the band thing was starting to become untenable for me, I started writing more, and so I've become a professional author. But you know, recently I broke into being an executive producer of a documentary about the yes. kids in the hall, and I've written books about the kids in the hall, and books about Todd Rundgren, and books about. Uh, bare naked ladies who were friends of mine, so I wrote their mm. first their first biography. Just uh, when they had finally made it big, uh, they asked me to write their official book, you know, right. biography, kind of their autobiography written by me. And then uh, I, I've written other books. So I guess I'm a writer first now, but I mean, I'm okay. a music guy. I'm also a podcaster. So I mean, I don't know. Like I, I I'm a broadcaster, podcaster, singer, dancer, rancher. I don't know. There's a lot of things I do, and they're all about storytelling. So that's why I okay. answered the way I did. You know, like I every time I do something, it's usually to tell you, the person on the other end, something that I want you to know. Right. You know? I, I I'll admit I'm not. Although you know, I've now fulfilled my middle-aged Caucasian dream of having a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not a, a like a podcast nerd per se. But one of the podcasts that I do regularly tune into is the Record Store Day podcast, which has now been around for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I would recommend our listeners, because there's a huge crossover with the pool of, of work that you're dealing with there, to tune into Record Store Day podcast if you haven't already. You've had some amazing guests on. Um, mm-hmm. You've had Jay Ferguson of Sloan on Record yeah, Store Day podcast. Actually, Jay Ferguson was great, because there's a guy, when you're thinking about record stores and records, that man, you know, I don't think I've... I don't think a day goes by that he isn't mentioning like 10 albums he thinks you should hear. So, yeah. So yeah, he was great. And he was kind of a dream guest for my podcast. And I think uh, I'd eventually like to get all the other guys on, but uh, it takes a while. Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe we can dial back a little bit to sort of your original days. You come from Toronto originally, is that correct? Yeah, I was born in Toronto in, uh, in, in right downtown, actually, at <laughs> college and university. Uh, Women's College Hospital, actually. Okay. And uh, I grew, I lived there for most of the, and I played in bands there. And it was sort of just as Sloan were coming up, 
my band was just sort of peaking in Toronto, the Gravel Berries. And hmm. we got on like CFNY and we played all those places, uh, you know, all the clubs. And I remember when Underwhelmed came out um, and CFNY started playing it, I remember thinking that I've, I've written about this this thing, which is, oh my God, there's a band that's doing kind of what I would want to do. Okay, You know, they were a little punkier. They were a little slightly younger, although it seems like our ages are blurring now. Um, but uh, they were they were just like, oh, good. I want, I'm glad someone's doing this. You know, there's only been two other bands in my life that were like that, where I went, I would kill to almost join this band. Of course, you don't want to rest, wreck those bands by joining them. But right. Sloan was one of those bands that I went, you know, if I can't be in Sloan, I will be a huge fan, you know. Right. Uh, Gravel Berries, that's... Uh... For for our listeners and f- for anybody who for whom that doesn't ring a bell immediately, wonder where you are tonight. Listen to it uh, on Bandcamp or on 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 any of the, of the other major streaming platforms. It it will probably ring a bell when you hear this song. I had that experience as well preparing <laughs> for this podcast. I believe it must have been on a mixtape or something that my sister made for me, and yeah, and she was hip to to that sort of scene. How how was that Toronto sort of OG indie? music scene in the 1980s and what was it about you know that quality that made you turn your head when sloan came on the scene from the east coast okay two part two part answer the first part of that which is cfny was um you know there's some college radio like uh 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 ckln and c and you know some of the other smaller st- and york university had a station but really uh we were really blessed that cfny which was a commercial broadcaster was playing music that you'd hear on like on college radio, but mm. also they would play like stuff that was tip sheeted from K rock and f- from England. And, and you really got a sense that this emerging category that some called modern rock or indie rock, as it was just happening, they were on it and they were, but they were also really good about being on the street. They right. had a, a program called the streets of Ontario, which was mm. really great because they brought on, and then they, they had this contest where a band could win enough money to make their own indie record. And, uh, you know, you probably heard this up with the Bare Naked Ladies, for instance, they were busking and then they won that contest. <laughs> they right. sold a bunch of cassettes and then they won that contest and that's how they made their first record, which they then signed it to Warner Brothers. So their first record was actually indirectly financed by the listeners of CFNY, which, I okay. mean, that, that's kind of an amazing place to be. And uh, so all these bands, we all felt like... There was a combination of wanting to make it because it was a very careerist world. You know, everyone was hoping to get signed. Everyone had seen British and American indie bands go on to like big deals. But at the same time, we were all really concerned that we were original. Mm. Everybody was checking each other out, not for how how commercial they were, but how original they were. So Mm. you would see a band in the bars and you'd be like, oh, wow, they're doing that. That's cool. And then Sloan comes in from Halifax and... And, you know, I'm like, whoa, you know, that and in Toronto, too, like it was pretty competitive. And you, you think, well, welcome to welcome to Toronto, Sloan. You know, it was right. really, and same thing had happened with the Pursuit of Happiness coming in from Edmonton, you know. And so all these cool bands had come to Toronto because that's where the industry was still kind of centered. So yeah. th- so that's why it was a really neat place to be. I can't compare it to anything else. I mean, London, maybe in the 60s and maybe L.A. in the 70s. I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. Yeah. So your band at that point in time, 
gravel berries um had one album is that right one studio yeah album? we only we only survived one album basically okay. and, then, and then and then i later released it digitally with three tracks that never made it to the record that were gonna be on the next gravel berry record so right so it's now on Bandcamp as uh bowl of globes plus which is three extra songs that are actually okay. really, i really like those three songs so it's good and it's it's a really cheap download too. I kind of just put it out there for a posterity, and I make five bucks every time someone buys one. So that's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> um, and so th- this would have been like this was ninety one, ninety two ish. Yeah, it was. Well, we recorded it around ninety two. It came out around ninety three. We toured both ends of the country. The country being Canada, um, right. in until about ninety five when it just it was hard. It was all my band, all my original material, and I was leading it, but nobody was getting paid to be in the band. So at a certain point, it was either I had to put people on the payroll or I would have to just basically admit that I don't have a band. And the, right. guys, were, the guys were all cool, but, you know, you can't make people work for free, and I didn't want them to. So, so we basically broke up the gravel berries, and then, uh, yeah, and that's, so that's why we never got to a next record, so... And so would you have been, I mean, did, did you have any personal contact with Sloan when they yeah. came through to Toronto? Yeah, so yeah. I, I distinctly recall, I distinctly recall there used to be a magazine uh, similar to, like, there's this weekly music and, and entertainment papers. There was one called Now Magazine, which I think is still right. just half in, half out. I think, I think they were digital only after a while. That's right. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and iMagazine was the other one. I think iMagazine might have been bankrolled by the Toronto Star. So there was a magazine party for iMagazine. And uh, I went there, and uh, the guys from Sloan were there. And I'd heard Underwhelmed, and I may have heard the Peppermint EPs. Like, so I, I just remember seeing someone said, that guy over there is Chris Murphy, and the guy standing next to him is Jay Ferguson. So I, I just went, like a kid almost, I just went, I went, hey, you guys are in Sloan. Um, man, I love your sound. You guys are doing great. You know, and uh, and they were really friendly. And that's the thing. They, um, you know, when you first meet them, you, you know, they're they're just like, you know, they're from that indie tradition of like, everybody's equal. Mm. Uh, we're not rock stars, but thank you for digging our music. What are you into? They they immediately put right. it on me, and they wanted to know about me, and you know, it made me feel good. And I just thought, yeah, I like those guys. You know, that was the first meeting of Sloan. That was so. This was like a now I magazine party. I just remember kind of clearly saying to someone, "Hey, I met those guys in Sloan. They're pretty cool." <laughs> Paul, it's interesting because you know, I think considering maybe some of your influences and your, you know your your own heritage and sort of that British background, it's interesting. Sloan has. And this might also have have to do in in turn with their connection to other bands and their connection to fans. But I feel as though there's a lot of sort of British influence coming into the Sloan camp, um, shoegaze, etc. Um, is that uh, is that sort of a quality that you heard in that band initially? Because yeah. I know that you know it's been sort of rid off as as, as grunge in quotes. But um, no. yeah, no, no. I, I, I the the thing about um, so. Because it was underwhelmed was the first song I ever heard. Um, I, I think I immediately picked up on the cleverness of the Chris's lyric. You know, uh, there's a lot of great little in jokes inside there, uh, and, and and also the fact that they were they were playing straight ahead chords, but then when they sang, there was these really cool full full voiced harmonies, which I hmm. since realized was what something that makes any Sloan song a Sloan song, even if it was written by any one of the four is when you hear the voices blend, it just becomes Sloan. And mm. uh, that Britishness of uh, pop sensibility 
uh, straight ahead pop sensibility with witty lyrics, it to me struck me as slightly British, even though obviously they were going to get compared to Seattle as well. But that's just sure. the times. That was just the times we were in. But so, yeah, I think I did recognize that. And, you know, like, it's funny because I was just interviewing Wet Leg, the band from the Isle of Wight in England. And I was just thinking right. how, in a weird way, the way that they kind of are coming out with this stripped down, sort of charming, but witty, grunt, slightly, you know, indie rocky sort of thing. They're kind of having the same effect on the current scene that Sloan had in Toronto, which was they were stripped down. And they were from, and, and Isle of Wight is, 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 is separate from the, you know, it's, it's off the coast of England. So it's England, but, and just like Nova Scotia to Toronto seemed like way out there somewhere. There was this sense of, uh, sense of they were exotic, you know, like right. <laughs> they were these kids from, from the sticks. And, you know, we were hearing about the Halifax pop explosion, but it was just coming in slowly. And I didn't, I hadn't heard mm. jail yet. And I hadn't heard Eric's trip yet. You know, it was just like, it was in the next year I would hear all those bands. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And whereas maybe a band with from Seattle wouldn't even, you know, turn their heads to converse with you at a party, I feel as though that's probably <laughs> a different thing coming from four dudes from Halifax where you get, you know, accosted on the street corner for wearing the same shoes as the, the person standing next to you. So. Yeah, I mean, it's all there in, in Underwhelmed. The, the manifesto is like, you know, they don't skip their classes, they attend. You know they attend. Right, yeah. They attend theirs, and they they know their grammar. You know they know their that's grammar. Right. They know and their manners. So, so that's, that's right. Yeah, um, you touched on an interesting point there too. Um, in terms of that sort of formula for, I guess, I guess what you know pundits would call power pop, and it, that's become sort of a running gag here as well on on the show. Is that whenever the term power pop comes up. Um, I myself tend to skirt around it because I feel it's hard to define what that is, but it's used, you know, so, um, so intertwiningly with the band Sloan. I know that you literally like co-wrote the book on power yeah. pop. Well, a book uh, or a two book. books. Uh, so what it was, what, yeah. So for me, I was always running up against the same thing, which is I identified in my life that, there's elements to Cheap Trick that are power pop. There's elements mm -hmm. to Sloan that are power pop. Uh, Teenage Fan Club have been power pop. Uh, and a lot of, but also a lot of 70s bands like, you know, the Raspberries at times were very power pop and mm -hmm. Adfinger. And there's a certain, uh, Matthew Sweet, there's a certain element to this sort of chunky rock with great harmonies uh, and driving beats and sort of an immediacy to it. It's a, it's a instant Saturday night, Friday night kind of music. And so I, I was trying to explain to a lot of people why the term power pop is denigrated. It's considered pejorative to some people. And mm. it's mainly because a lot of times when someone was called power pop, they were lumped in with skinny tied uh, Rickenbacker playing bands who were just trying to imitate the 60s, you know, or the right. 70s. And also record companies had signed a bunch of power pop bands that didn't sell. So suddenly mm. the term became like, you know, ghettoized it became sort of like you know oh don't sign them they're a power pop band it's dismissive you know so a lot of the bands don't want to like the fountains of wayne guys didn't want to be associated associated with the right. term power pop yeah. so yeah. me and sw Lawden, who's an author in la we're talking about this with our with a publisher but i wanted to do an anthology of stories about various bands that could be under the umbrella and so we came up with this book and we called it go all the way which was Obviously, the, the Raspberry is sort of one yeah. of the archetypal power pop songs. And Go All The Way did really well, like uh, like for an indie book, you know, and it sold it sold through. And it sold, uh, I think, 
second or third printing. So we came up with Go Further recently, which was this follow-up. Okay. And, and in Go All the Way, I wrote about Sloan. So, so actually, and, that was mission accomplished. <laughs> maybe for our listeners who hadn't had the fortune of, of picking up a copy, myself included, what, what are the qualities of Sloan that make them in your eye, quintessentially power pop. Well, and and as I say in the essay that I wrote, it, it, they uh, they are not not very few bands become one hundred percent power pop. Power pop is almost right. like rockabilly in the sense that it's you can play a lot of songs that fit power pop, but they might play another song. I mean, sure, Patrick Pentland probably doesn't identify with power pop. I don't think, even right. though he has very hooky, very hooky rock songs, but he's much more of a, you know, he's much more likely to be a, a Fagazi uh, over to ACDC side of the thing. And, right. uh, and I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've never really spoken with him about it, frankly. I've never asked him um, a lot closer to Jay and Chris in terms of conversations. Sure. And, uh, and they identified that the, in certain lanes, the music that uh, let's think, well, um, uh, Losing California is a very mm. power pop song in my my books. Um, if it feels good, do it. Is a very ironically Patrick uh, Patrick yeah, writes sure. power pop songs, but um, Chris <laughs> Murphy's songs are quite often power pop. Even though I don't know if he loves the term, but it, he'll take it. He said he'll take it. He told me that. Um, sure. You know, and and some of Jay's songs and and what it is is it's the Jay Jay tends to and I, don't, I hope he is not offended by the term twee. But Jay tends towards that end of the power pop spectrum where it's mm-hmm. he's got a very um, humble and affable sort of almost meek presence at the front of the song, you know, like uh, um, lines you amend. You know, it's you know, it's it's not strictly a power pop song, but he rec- he sort of reminds me of a lot of the things I like that are on the Emmett Rhodes end of the spectrum. So it's right. it's a very broad and nebulous definition. So, but they definitely. A lot of people who collect records end up having one or two songs that are power pop because you can't buy a lot of great rock records without coming across Emmett Rhodes, Harry Nilsson, um, the Raspberries, the Rubenews, uh, Cheap Trick, yeah. and all of these bands that have at various moments, you know, and the Beatles are a huge part of all, all of that too. The Beatles and the Who, the Who right. are, and the Kinks, are very, they all have elements that have inspired power pop. XTC is another huge common for denominator sure. i think for me xdc is one of my godhead bands and uh speaking of my podcast by the way i recently had a an hour-long episode that was just andy partridge of xdc and right. you should s- seek that if you want to hear it i i i was very proud of that that was one for me as i call it like i i didn't care if anyone <laughs> else cared that i was talking to andy partridge but i had him for anyone else had johnny marr so 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 yeah. these these guys are not strictly power pop but but they are the, the they're the figures that inform that sort of melodic sensibility as well as the rock sensibility. Boy, do I ever go on long answers here? Sorry. That's cool. No, that's that's what Sloancast is is there for is uh, <laughs> rambling answers and <laughs> and heavy editing. No, certainly that. But, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, maybe just uh, turning turning the page right back to to sort of that that early mid nineties time. Um, so you're your music career as it were in in the gravel berries in gravel is it the gravel berries or gravel berries we call them the gravel berries the gravel actually. Berries. and we spelled I mean, it like we spelled it r y s at the end right. which was on purpose it was kind of a weird 
thing of like defiance. Like I just didn't want to have IES for some reason. Right. So if you're looking for right. it, it's yeah. Yeah. So it was the Gravelberries. And you're asking me about my career in the Gravelberries. I didn't mean to Yes, I was, I was, I was, uh, I was going to turn the page back to the, the chronology as it were. So we're in sort of 92, 93 Gravelberries have released their, their, uh, one studio album sloan have already released smeared uh, twice removed is coming um you're following the band's trajectory as it were then as a sort of as a as a fan do you, do you did you have another uh a band afterwards or was it more were you gravitating well, more towards not not uh, immediately no i i i, I did a, a few solo things i moved oh, it, the, the complication is that after 95 I stopped playing for a while and just did a lot of solo shows opening for people by myself with a guitar. Right. And then, but then, um, I moved to California in 97. 97. So, um, so, uh, uh, so that changed a lot of things. And I came down here and I started sort of writing songs with people more than playing in bands. And, right. and, and, uh, one of the projects was a, I met a guy much like myself who had had all the same background. Uh, he was from Washington DC and he, he, uh, but he lived in California with near me. And so his name is John Mormon. And John Mormon and I spent the next few years writing a bunch of songs. And it took till about 2014. We actually put together um, another full album that we recorded under the name The Paul and John. Okay. The Paul and John put out uh, Inner Sunset, which I'm very proud of. In many ways, the legacy of the Gravelberries, it took like 20 years to get another record out. But that was it. <laughs> That's also because I became a writer, but, uh, for sure. And John and I might do another one, but we, 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 you know, it took 10 years to get that one out. So we just, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of my band chronology. So leaving, losing California, leaving for California actually sort of changed a lot of things in my life. So that's why that's where that went. Okay. And that was going to be the tie-in to the to the Sloan story. So you experienced the band up close and personal in their heyday uh in 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 that uh in sort of that Geffen early era. Does does that influence your taste in the band too because moving to California in 97 at a point in time when, you know, you're having to wait a year for them to release one chord to another on on the Enclave. Um where, you know, it, it just felt as though in Canada at that point in time, the band was so, it was everywhere. So did you feel a little bit out of touch with the Canadian music scene at that point in time? It was sort of pre-internet? How yeah. that feel? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was, was it pre-internet? It's hard to believe that it was. Or it was, was. Pre, pre-internet 2.0 well, yeah, or whatever. It certainly it was. wasn't, yeah, uh, web streaming, <laughs> streaming and streaming hadn't been perfected. And I remember, I remember hearing about streaming, people going, they're going to have thing where it's like continuous internet and you don't have to dial it up. Like whoa, uh, DSL. We're gonna get DSL, right? And, but uh, and but uh, yeah. That's so I, yeah, I did feel a little dislocated. But um, and I can't remember. I think the what you're actually thinking about is also the fact that when Facebook and all those things and MySpace started happening, mm. that's when you could really keep in touch with your bands because mm. it's one thing to be on an email newsletter, but it's uh, and also people have websites, but you never knew if they were updating them. You'd have to check yourself and. Facebook mm. sort of kept notifying you when someone had updated. So I keep in touch with a lot more of my various X scenes uh, just from the fact that I still keep a hand in like Twitter and sure. um, and Facebook. To, you know, even though I hate Facebook like everyone else, I, I still there's people there that I keep in touch with that I've known right. all my life. So um, so, yeah, so it was hard. And I remember I would, you know, if Pitchfork were kind enough to write about Sloan, it felt good. You know, right. it felt good to hear about that. And you know, you've had Taylor Locke on here, I think, right? Mm. 
guys right. like you meet guys in California, musicians who are some of them like Taylor younger than me, and they're surprised and delighted to hear that I know Sloan personally, you know, and they, they now know Sloan personally also. Sure. But I remember that was a bonding thing with some California musicians and other people in other parts of the world. It's like, right. well, you know, Sloan, Hey, know him, you know, like, <laughs> of course, by then I was claiming to have written all their songs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, but it was, it was always a really great selling thing to say, yeah, uh, you like Sloan, you're from the States and you've heard of Sloan. You right. know, and then I would see them. I think I saw them at uh, Bimbo's 360 Club. That no, it was um, Slim's. I saw them at Slim's, which is a small club, and it was just a nice feeling to see a band from back home and see them have a, a pretty good following in San Francisco. You know, right. and and that's uh, in fact that's how I met Taylor. I just realized okay. I met Taylor Locke and the Ruffs were opening for Sloan at uh, Slim's and um, mid mid two thousands. I'm assuming. Yeah, and we started yeah. talking, and I and I. Uh, I, it was a long story. I told him I was writing a book about Todd Rundgren and Taylor was like super stoked for that. <laughs> and we all kept in touch, you know, but the Sloan was the, you know, and Chris Price uh, also from that scene, the, the, very into uh, Sloan to the point where they had specific, like we would argue about songs. I would say that's right. a pretty good song. And they'd say, you know, but it's not as good as this one. And I'm, I'd, I'd never, I've never had that kind of complex dissection of the music with somebody from the States. <laughs> right. Well, you're, you're touching on a good point here too. And I think, you know, what, what we're noticing moving through this podcast is that, and we knew this beforehand, but it really comes to the fore when you, when you start to talk to, to actual professional musicians is that Sloan is such a musician's band. It's obviously a fan's band and they're very, you know, in touch with their very hardcore, small Canadian fan base. But it's, there are so many qualities of the band that, I think other musicians pick up on. Um, and I, I want to move to a quote of yours from, uh, from your interview with Jay Ferguson on Record Store Day podcast, in which you say, Sloan is a record collector's band. Uh, listening to a Sloan set is like having four record collections in one. So, you know, this is coming up from a musician's and a record collector's perspective, I suppose. But what are maybe the qualities of the band or of their live shows, because you're talking in particular here about the live shows, that that would leave, leave you to make that statement. That's sort of, I think it's it's the four-headed monsterness, but what is it to you? Um, well, I, I have to take that from a bunch of different angles. So first, as a musician, they're eclectic. I mean, they're, they're eclectic within a, within a rock frame, you know, mm-hmm. and it really is a record store in one band. I mean, the, uh, you know, you, you'll have like... Green Gardens is not at all like, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, <laughs> what's, this, what's this? Unkind. So Green mm. Gardens is not like Unkind. You can use that. Green Gardens is not like Unkind. You know, they're not the same song. Losing California isn't the same as uh, as uh, 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 everything you've done wrong, you know. And, and, and so there's an eclecticism that feels like you could be listening to different bands. But something I did point out, I think in the interview with Jay, uh, I think it was, I think it was also in another thing I wrote, I'd interviewed them about parallel play and parallel play was the one where they kind of, I think in the title, they give away exactly what it is about Sloan, which is Mm -hmm. that they're a four lane highway. You know, Mm -hmm. they're, um, they're all going roughly the same direction and sometimes some of them are in the fast lane, some of them, you know, some of them are in the passing lane, but they're always kind of going the same direction, but they're four distinct cars. And as we touched on earlier, 
when they overdub on each other's recordings, because sometimes they will play most of the stuff on their own tracks. I mean, I don't know if they always do it the same every time, but at this point in their career, when I was talking to them, Andrew's a great drummer, but Chris can also drum in his own way, you know, that is different than him. And this, you wouldn't necessarily need to worry about who did what, you know, mm. and, and at the same time, uh, Andrew can go up front and play guitar and sing. And he, I love what he does. He's a kind of an original, almost folk rocky kind of guy. Like he's, a, he's more like the tragically hip end of the spectrum in some ways in uh, Dylan, True. you know, yeah. and, and, and so at this point you would miss any one of those four cars at this point. And, and uh, it's always heartening to hear like heavy long haired rocker, Pat Patrick ch- chiming in beautiful harmonies on a Chris song, because you go, mm-hmm. you know, it, there's something beautiful about, that it's not a strictly metal metalish or even in hardcore band, but they all respect each other to stay in those lanes. And I'm sure there's been, I don't know if there's been arguments actually, but presumably there's arguments in any situation like that about direction, but because they each have autonomy to make their own song within the Sloan framework, they'll, they've survived a lot longer than a lot of other bands. Like if the Beatles had worked this sort of white album theory out over many mm-hmm. years, they might have found a way to keep making records after Abbey Road. Um, right. I, I don't know. Again, they were the the Beatles walked so other bands could run. You know, like I, they they were breaking all the barriers. So Sloan are kind of the fruition of that. You know, so I don't know right. if I've answered your question, but I sure enjoyed using no, a bunch sure. of words just now. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the things that pops out to me and and sort of happening in in the statement that you just made there is that. Four distinct songwriters, four distinct styles, but it's so interesting how they feed off of each other as well. And I think one quote that we've used here frequently um, from from Chris is that he particularly likes it when Jay turns it up a notch and when Patrick dials it down a notch, for example. So we have Jay doing Step on a Gene or we have uh, Jay doing, well, I'm going to use a, a maybe a, a bit of a bit of an illegal quote here but jay doing forget this feeling from feltworth oh, <laughs> oh yeah, Felt- you know, the project yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah that's 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 one end of the spectrum and then you have you have patrick turning it down a notch with um uh even though or patrick turning it down a notch with um dreams come true something like that your your dreams have come true or and every, it's just everything you've done wrong is him too right that's right yeah for sure i mean you a know, trumpet solo <laughs> come <yeah>. on <laughs> So it's, you know? it's so interesting to observe these guys get out of their comfort zones yeah, because of internal influences and, and mm-hmm. then how that, you know, turns out. And it's, it's usually radically uh, different than what you would expect, but successful as well. So, you know, and something else that's interesting too is the ghost of Greg. Like, right. like, like <laughs> Greg, Greg is in the band and not in the band. And like, like you think of this, the four headed monster, but then there's Gregory McDonald all over the place. So, yeah. so, so I don't know if that's changing in their current recordings or what, like, I don't know quite where they're at with that, but uh, they always kind is, of find a way to yeah. kind of sneak him in, you know, like on Commonwealth, he's the Joker, or I know on the seven, the Christmas seven inch, like he's on Andrew's button. So, I mean, he's yeah. obviously musically all over the project recording and otherwise, but it's, but it's, it's an uh, interesting thing, right? Though that he's, yeah. he's, he's um, because he's strictly kind of the touring guy, but I'm, sh- you know, I mean, does he record on the records anymore? Oh, he's all? on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 No, cause I, I'm sorry, Greg, you know, friend of mine and everything, but uh, <laughs> he's I just, no, so I, I, I just sort of assume sometimes that, you know, there's a piano part that they can play themselves. Each of the guys, they will play it on the record, but you know, of course 
Why not? I think that happens too. But yeah, I think Greg is definitely yeah. uh, uh, spreading his mayonnaise all over everybody's songs for sure. He's like the Joe. But uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said mayo. But it's yeah, a yummy yeah, yeah. condiment. Let, what are you going to do? Hold the mayo next time. Hold the mayo time. next time. <laughs> I, I won't use it in the future. I apologize, listener. You mentioned no, no, play cool. and and uh, you know the idea of artists sort of having their own voice and stuff, but also kind of working towards a goal. And wanted to say congrats on the Comedy Punks doc. I've been watching so many videos about this coming out soon. Uh, the Kids in the Hall documentary, obviously based on your book. Uh, so congrats on that. And wanted to yeah, just kind of pick your brain. Yeah. Uh, in regards to any potential parallels between the band and those guys, because the old joke is, you know, every comedian wants to be a musician, every musician wants to be a comedian. Uh, and in both cases, you have all original members whose content have endured for decades, um, Canadian, obviously, and I'm sure there are some other parallels there. But um, but I think maybe just an interesting thought there, like all of the original guys and yeah. uh, Chris obviously always jokes that Sloan are, there should be rather an essential service, you know, and I think that the, the argument can be <laughs> made of kids in the hall as well, you know, like these yeah, two yeah. entities must exist. No, I, 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 yeah, to answer your question, I, I absolutely see um, the, the, the personalities, the fact that there are four personalities in Sloan and there's five in the kids in the hall and they're each of them has a lane like the, yeah, the kids in the hall are the same thing too, because, you know, I actually don't think I was even onto that until you mentioned it, which is, you know, I've been spending a lot of time. I'm the executive producer on this documentary comedy punks, which is based on my book, uh, one dumb guy, which uh, just to get people up to speed. And that's going to be on Amazon. I think May 20th, uh, Amazon awesome. starts to stream that. And the nice. kids in the hall series is of course coming back also. Uh, I'm not crazy. sure their exact date. <laughs> So, but, but it's been a really good time to sort of be around the kids in the hall world because I'm really getting a sense of their parallel play because they, you know, there will be a Bruce sketch that's so Bruce, but then he'll bring, uh, he tends to like write in the Mark end of the spectrum, but Bruce will often, you know, involve Kevin or, or Dave and Scott is the, the, Scott's the wingman. I don't know what, I don't know what the parallel in Scott would be. Is it Andrew? in a way i mean the argument could be for andrew because andrew does play again on a lot of other people's songs like he's there to rip a rat solo or you know but but, i mean again then you've got somebody like chris who is just his voice is on everybody's song he's the consummate backup vocalist for everybody hard to kind of make a parallel there too and i was going to also say it made me think there aren't a whole ton of bands who are as charismatic and just overtly funny as sloan too i mean you look at any classic interview with the sloan guys they're hilarious and the kids in the hall are also very musical as well well and I think some of the Sloan guys were involved in a table read of uh, the Kids in the Hall Brain Candy at the Queen Elizabeth Theater a few years Correct. ago. I, I want to say that that, that, that was up. Chris and Greg, perhaps maybe. Yeah, it was Jay. Chris and Greg. I remember Greg yeah. for sure, and I couldn't remember if it was Chris or Jay. I guess, of course, it's Chris. And Chris <laughs> is just the funniest guy in the world. I mean, if you follow uh, John Worcester on Instagram, <laughs> some of the best joke replies to John Worcester posts are from Chris. So. You know, yeah. it's just like it's it. He's 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 he actually he. I think he missed a whole career as a comedian. Maybe that waits for him later. I don't know. I, I got to be honest. You said about yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to quickly. I'm, I'm going to pitch a comedy episode to Chris where he just comes on here and hits us with all his best material. There you go. That, that, isn't, no, but he, isn't life his best material? I mean, uh, <laughs> no, but it's true. He, he's just he's just wry. He's very wry. I mean, and this goes back to the like I said, the first Sloan song I ever heard was Underwhelmed, 
which is just basically a stand-up routine, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and, and it set the tone for like a kind of, a kind of aspect to Sloan that is, is filled with like zingers, you know? Right. And, and all comedians do want to be musicians and all musicians want to be comedians. And, and there's a, a, another person that you may have talked to, I don't know on this show or not, but my good friend, Craig Northey from the odds, uh, he writes music for the kids in the hall and works with Brent mm, Butt right. and works with the tall boys comedy uh, troupe on, on CBC. And mm. he is a funny guy and he's a very st- serious musician when he plays his own songs. He has wit in his songs, but he's not a comedian. And, um, and at the same time, you know, like he loves being around comedians and doing comedy. And I'm pretty sure most comedians I know uh, just would kill to be in a band. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Craig, that's this right now is the official invite for Craig to come on the show, by the way. Oh yeah. You, he's, he's a great, great person to talk to. And of course they're in the trans Canada highway men together with, with Chris. So. Yeah. That's right. Um, it's such an art as well to be, to have humor in music and not come across as, you know, camp ruddles parody, even like Marcy Furvis, it's you know you you want to have that that right balance between people understand the wit and the wry, and it doesn't feel like it's a parody of something. Uh, and I think that that's one thing that the Canadian bands, especially that we've been mentioning, pull off. And I wonder if it's something about the Canadian identity in in general. I don't, I don't know, Paul, if you have an, a, a perspective on that, having lived in the states for so long, or if it's you know in in your examination of of kids in the hall, if that's something that has to do with that sort of unspoken Canadian identity per se. Great question. I actually think about this a lot. Uh, and actually Canadians, especially guys of my age, have been thinking about identity for years, like Canadian identity. What's the voice? I mean, I'm writing a book now about John Candy, who, um, wow. and John Candy, you know, SCTV had a, they were like, you know, the OGs of this sort of thing, because they had a very Canadian take on American culture. And, and, and you know, the Kids in the Hall also, the Kids in the Hall did Toronto-based sketches that were universal for like the, at least the North American experience, you know, mm. and the people in America who like kids in the hall got that and Sloan. And, but speaking of the sense of humor, I think there's a detachment and many people other than me, smarter people than me have spoken about Canadian culture is we're in the shadow of America. It's there, whether we like it or not. And it's tasty in times and other times it's oppressive. Britain is also a huge influence on a lot mm. of Canadian culture. So we have the European influence and the British influence, and we also have the American influence. And of course, in Montreal, you know, in Quebec, you would have a, a lot of other uh, French influences. And, and things are changing, too. We're getting a lot of different things in Canada that uh, weren't as prominent in the mix. You certainly, uh, Indigenous culture is, is a lot more pronounced in Canada and accepted as kind of a mainstream thing, whereas here... In the states, I've noticed there's there's still a kind of like oh he's an Indian or something like that like like whereas in Canada it's like pretty natural to have some band from from the North Country just be mm. on TV you know and mm. rightly so um, so those influences though I think uh, as far as American culture which is the original question I think we tend to be a little bit obsessed with their culture to the point where we know it and we might not always like it. But we can also be funny about it because it's not, we don't have the reverence for it. We don't, mm. we don't say the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag, which mm. whether, again, there's so many Americans who don't have that kind of ridiculous jingoism either. But at the same time, it's, it's harder for people to deprogram themselves if they're born into it. Whereas Canadians, we're just like, 
we're just over here in our little uh our little laughing chair you know <laughs> watching right. it and i think that makes us if i can speak of us broadly canadians i think uh in all the canadian comedians i've spoken with and i know i guess a few now um the the detachment is what creates a sense of a satirical edge you know and i think it might mm. be in the music too i don't i it, i think bands that are funnier like sloan have that Certainly, uh, Stephen sure. Page is like that, and and yeah. uh, you know he's in the Trans Canada High Women with uh, Chris, yeah, and sure. um, and I think that's what they all get in common too. You know, I don't, I don't know, I don't. That, I hope that's an answer. That's, <laughs> that's a great. great answer. When you said SCTV, if Murph is listening to this episode, I'm sure his his ears perked up. Um, it's funny. I mean, we were talking a couple of episodes ago to Taylor Locke and Ned Brower, who were both in California there with you. And uh, I like to ask guests, like, you know, who should we have on? Like, who do you recommend? Like, cause there might be people, obviously, outside of our sphere who we don't realize are big Sloan fans. Uh, and they both said you. <laughs> and your name came up once <laughs> other, an, nice. another time as well. We were talking about, you know, the eventual, the definitive Sloan book or the definitive Sloan yeah. film that will eventually right, come right. out, hopefully, you know, in the future. And somebody was like, you know who would be the writer of that? It would be Paul Myers, you know? So, oh, who said that, uh, by the way? I have sure to go back and find day. out. No, I got to go. I got to go back <laughs> and find out. Who didn't say that? Yeah, who wouldn't say that? But, but anyway. Well, do you um, know what's interesting is, I, I appreciate that, by the way. Can I just jump in and say that Taylor Locke and I talked about doing a book. And that, that but we both, like, he's busy, you know, now he's a dad and everything. Yeah. And I think he was on tour with with sparks at that point or something there was there's a bunch of reasons why that didn't happen and of course getting a publishing deal for such a thing but the real stumbling block for a sloan book is that sloan themselves could write that thing if they could delegate and do it you know i, I my suspicion is that chris and jay would helm it and then make sure that everyone's involved you know hmm. it would almost um, but, be like uh, those, if those they box needed a, if they needed a captain i would take the job <laughs> Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, I, yeah, a great, great idea might be just like uh, an expanded version of what we see inside the box sets right now. Like the, uh, every guy gets like yeah. a quote, you know, every paragraph. Well, what I did when, <laughs> when the bare naked ladies asked me to write their book in 19, mm. God, 1906, uh, no, in the jazz age when they, they, it was the first thing I'd ever done as a book. And, and they said, we, we want to write an autobiography, but you know, it shouldn't just be one of us writing it. So we want you to be the point person. And so I always describe it as the autobi- autobiography that I wrote, you know, for them. Right. Right. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's how it would work is if, mm. you know, again, Sloan, if you're listening, um, <laughs> they know I got, I, I'm sure they got sick of me saying, and I kept saying, well, you know, I would write the book, you know, and <laughs> uh, I, ma- I just made sure that they knew, and it's coming from a place of love and certainly not a place of exploitation. Cause it's not like, anyone makes a million dollars doing these things so right sure. but well, if, if anybody's capable dollars, take it yeah, yeah. <laughs> if exactly. i stumble across so, yeah. a million i'll let you know yeah i mean the, re- the real issue is is that you know it's it wouldn't be a retrospective uh examination of the band because we're we're still hopefully in the middle of their career so that's yeah. i guess the the main the main stumbling block that's what happened uh, when i pitched my i pitched todd, todd i wrote a book on todd rungren's recording right. career and it came out 10 years ago. And I said to him, I said, it's not, it's not the end of your career, but I think it's worthy of writing about, you know, and I did tend to stay to the 70s and 80s a lot. And I just wanted to get that aspect of his career done. And he, but his first hesitancy was, he goes, I, I trust you to do it right. He was really nice about that. But he said, I don't know, is it time for me to like call it and call it the end of my career? And I said, it's not, it's not, don't, 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 don't be it's volume two, don't, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you just sometimes you got to stop and smell the roses, you know? That's right. Agree. Maybe as a, a, first of all, as a hint to listeners, and I know that, that listeners now have a laundry list of Bandcamp things they have to look up for, for this episode, <laughs> but um, you did a cover of Misty's Beside Herself for a Future Man Records recording. That's right. Uh, the, the tribute compilation, if, if it feels could do it, a few years ago. Maybe you can just give us your thoughts on, on why Misty's Beside Herself. Well, um, I don't know definitively of the songs about my friend Misty, who is a friend of theirs, but I'm pretty sure it is. And it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I knew Misty. Misty and and uh, and her uh, then boyfriend Juice were in the band, the uh, Yoko Casionos. Yoko Casionos. And I used to get up with them in Vancouver when I lived in Vancouver for a while. I, okay. I got up and sang Bowie songs with them a few times, and and they're they're just great guys. And I sang a Bowie song with uh, Juice actually. Uh, uh, I. Uh, recently well within the last five years after bowie died we did a i showed up at a thing um but uh so i knew those guys and so i knew misty when i heard that song one of the things we bonded over me and juice and misty was was sloan because they know them too and it was just like and i remember you know so i i I had a strong connection to that song and i also thought it had a really neat melody and it kind of went into a new part of the chorus and i just sort of had this idea that you could actually put in like some sequencer elements, which I think Chris doesn't like. Uh, I actually asked him, I said, what did you think of that cover? And he said, Oh, uh, I don't know if I heard it. And like, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a kind man. He's a kind man. Uh, I, I, you know, you got to take that chance that you're going to do, um, you know, you're going to do a velvet painting of somebody's song and they're going to say, Oh, that's nice. You know? Right. So, yeah. So that's, so that's why I chose that song. And at, at the time it was like, one of, it was from the most recent album, I think, at the oh, time right. when, when that project yeah. came out. So I just thought, rather than do something... Also, I was looking for something that maybe nobody else was going to do. Like, I, th- I thought Underwhelmed and all these other songs are going to get taken. So that's what happens. Misty's but, is a sleeper is a sleeper top Chris song for me, so respect in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my only no, thing I to wrap up... the lyrics up, are great. Yeah, I, I do too. Very emotional. I love that rise towards the end there um, in mm. the music. Um, love you, but I can't resist. I'd love to rather. Anyway, I wanted to just recommend to the listener, if they're not already following you on Instagram, I just want to give you props for your photography. It's like uh, every oh, wow. day there's like a beautiful picture, whether it's cars or, you know, I saw the post earlier yeah. uh, paying tribute to John Candy. So interesting to hear you writing a book on him. So that's fantastic. Yeah. But if people haven't, yeah. aren't Thank following you. Thank you, you very much. Yeah, if people aren't following you, it's obviously Paul Myers on Instagram. It's spelled P-U-L-M-Y-E-A-R-S. Which it's like I pull my is... ears. Here's how you remember it. It's pull my ears, like <laughs> like I'm pulling your ears, but with one L. It's an right. anagram, very Sloan-like anagram. Oh. Uh, pull my ears. And and that's also my uh, Twitter handle, too. So you can follow me on Twitter, too. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. I always read it like a, the, the classic British mother saying your name, like pull my ears or something like that. Pull my ears. <laughs> pull my ears. Pull, it's pull my ears. Yeah. It's Paul Myers with one L. Uh, believe me, I've had to say it so many times to like people from utility companies. You know, send me an email. It's pull my ears with one. That's pull my ears with one L. It was clever Amazing. when I thought of it. Yeah, it, it's not. It's not as clever when you have to spell it out for everybody. But well, thank you for letting us happening. bend your ear. It has been an absolute Whoa! pleasure, sir. Nicely done. Nicely yeah, done. This has been fantastic. Um, Such a treat. I just love that there's a podcast for, for people who are into Sloan. I just, I got to say that that just, I'm so thrilled to be here. So thank you. Wonderful. 
All right, man. Well, thanks for being here. And thank you, listener, for joining us on this episode. Don't want to forget, just want to mention, obviously, that you can follow all the guys on Instagram, follow the band on social media, slowmusic.com. They've got some dates coming up uh, as of this recording, early 22, uh, early 2022, rather. Uh, April 19th uh, in St. Catharines, April 22nd in Toronto, June 4th in Gravenhurst, June 25th in Sarnia, July 29th in St. John, New Brunswick. Uh, So grab those tickets, check the guys out. Uh, They are back. Will you please welcome back to the stage the greatest fucking band of all time? They're coming to a city near you, and hopefully, we'll have more and more dates uh, as the months unfold and as things develop. Um, so, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Ken, over to you, sir. Your your Bandcamp homework uh, for this week, dear listeners, is to check out the Gravelberries on mm-hmm. Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have their uh, studio album from 1992 entitled Bowl of Bandcamp, you can get Bowl of Globes Plus. Um, and if you listen to college radio in the 90s, uh, then you'll probably be familiar with the title track, Wonder Where You Are Tonight. You, you should also check out Paul and his project, The Paul and John on Bandcamp, mm. which was the project, as Paul mentioned, that was about 20 years in the making. And finally, you can listen to, to Paul do his rendition of Misty's Beside Herself on the Future Man Records tribute compilation to Sloan, If It Feels Good, Do It. So get out your pocketbook, jump over to Bandcamp, find a Bandcamp Friday, uh, and get those titles for your iPod. Maybe we can put that, that song at the beginning of this episode, maybe like a little snippet of that. For sure. We'll find a Good place idea. to snip it in there. But uh, yeah, and, and as well, as Paul mentioned, I'm sure it will be impossible to uh, disregard when it comes out. But as he was saying, his uh, comedy punks, Kids in the Hall doc is coming out on Amazon Prime in May uh, 2022 as of this recording. So obviously looking forward to that very much. And uh, yeah, what a treat. What an amazing guest. We hope that you really enjoyed this episode, listener. Hit us with your recommendations if you'd like to hear somebody on or if you want to hear a specific topic. Uh, uh, do a deep dive into a specific topic please reach out to us at sloancast let us know hit us what's that gmail address is it sloancast at gmail.com it's sloancast at gmail.com what a guess all right ken it has been a pleasure my dude and uh, listener we will catch you next time on the next episode of sloancast i would leave my life for you is this too good to be Misty's beside herself and standing still If she can hide herself, I'm sure she will I hated to see a case of love undone Misty's beside herself to have someone